for these lives because every single minute of these lives are important to God. And how we live has eternal ramifications in the world for other people. And the reason I think people don't believe in Jesus is not because they don't realize that they're flawed. I think most people do. The reason people don't believe in Jesus, they don't realize that there's a holy God who holds them accountable for their lives. Repay no one evil for evil. That's a difficult practice to carry out. As believers, we have to learn a more excellent way, and that only comes through God. This teaching will illustrate how Joseph put that tenet into practice as he shows love and generosity to the brothers who hated him. Even as others around us put forth hatred, we have to live in love. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 42, verse 25, with his continuing study entitled, Joseph in Egypt. Joseph's getting broken up inside because he's reliving the hurts of his past. So what does he do? He ends up taking Simeon as a prisoner. Why Simeon? We don't really know. Simeon didn't play a prominent role in the selling of Joseph, but Simeon's the one who gets chosen. So in verse 25, look at what happens. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed, at the encampment he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? So Joseph blesses his family. He gives them the grain and he doesn't even take the money. But again, when you have a guilty conscience, even God's blessings are terrifying. I mean, they should have been rejoicing. Like, we went to buy this grain, we took all this money, they gave us the grain and we got the money bank and they're thinking to themselves, God is cursing us. Again, this is the fruit of a guilty conscience. This is what happens. But I love this because Joseph is living out loving his enemies, blessing those who curse them. What it says in Romans twelve seventeen, repay no one evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Romans twelve twenty one, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is awesome. Joseph could have hurt his brothers. He had the authority and the motive and the opportunity. But what did he do? He blessed them instead. And brothers and sisters, we should not expect non-Christians to love their enemies, but we should expect that we do. And I know it's hard, but we learn it from Jesus. For God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And every time we struggle with loving people, we come to the cross and we say, God, I do not know how to do this. Lord, it's not within me. And he's like, you're right, it's within me. And I've given myself to you that you may learn a more excellent way. And I know that with men it's impossible. But we're not talking about humanistic philosophy. We're talking about the supernatural presence of the almighty God in the person of his spirit indwelling a fallen person who's been redeemed. And we need to ask God to make room in our hearts for people who have hurt us, who have wronged us, who continue to wrong us, that although they do evil to us, we do good to them. Though they accuse us, we bless them and speak well of them. The tit for tat ended at the cross for us. And Joseph is a shining, I mean, he's blessing his family. He's blessing these guys, but they are freaked out, totally freaked out. They find their money, they're like, oh man, this is bad. This is really bad. But it was actually really good. They missed the blessings of God. Verse 29, then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our fathers. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone and bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. And then it happened as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. And he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity shall befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. After they recount these events to Jacob, Jacob's just upset now. He's like, are you kidding me? Joseph is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Do you want to take Benjamin? Really? And, and it's interesting because... You know, Reuben steps on up and says, look, you can kill my sons if I don't bring him back. You know, and it's good because it's good that Reuben stepped up and said, hey, look, I'm going to try and do this. He failed to prevent the loss of Joseph, but at least he's willing to try again. But it's interesting that Jacob's having none of it. He's like, no, not going, not going. But look what happens in chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. 
For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? It's interesting. Simeon's in jail the whole time. They run out of grain. Because Jacob's not, he's not sending Benjamin. There's just no way. And he's like, hey, listen, go get more grain. Jacob says. And Judah's like, pops, come on. Don't you remember what happened? Don't you remember what's, what went on? And it's interesting because Jacob is upset with his brothers. Now, I, I want to, there's a good application here. When you're nervous, don't talk. There's an old saying, and, you know, and I laugh about this all the time because, you know, like, yeah, I'm a pastor, so I speak in public a lot, and things happen, and, you know. But there's an old saying that says, better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and dispel all doubt. <laughs> and so, it's, it's a good word. It's a good word. I wasn't planning on sharing that, but, you know, these guys are... They're nervous, so they're talking. Talk, knock, talk, 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 talk. So good, good piece of brotherly advice when you're nervous. Just, just be silent rather than saying something you wish you hadn't. And, and Jacob's just like, why'd you tell him that you had another brother? Why? He's like, well, we didn't realize what he was going to do. And, you know, he just asked us and we just started talking. Verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, but we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. But their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, Then do this, take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. And all the people said, mmm. Sorry, that's not in the Bible. That was me. Sorry. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Now, do you notice what Judah does now? Judah presents himself as a substitute for Benjamin. That's what he does. He says, look, I'll take it. I'll take it. Why is this important? Notice that Reuben offered his sons. Judah offered himself. What tribe was Jesus from? Judah. Yeah. That's what Jesus did for you and I. Judah is a, is a picture, a forerunner, a type. He's saying, look, my life for Benjamin's. I'll take his blame if something goes wrong. 
And that's exactly, this is why we believe the gospel. This is why, as Christians, we say we believe in Jesus. Because there's been no other man in history who said, I am going to take the punishment that you deserve because you can't handle that debt. I'm going to do it for you. That's the gospel. And that reality that a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 2,000 years ago, would take the punishment that I deserve, that has arrested people's hearts for thousands of years. Because all people who have any sort of reality of a holy God realize that in the eyes of that holy God, we fall dreadfully short. We do infinite things wrong. All of us, we try our best and fall short. We don't try our best and we definitely fall short. We have good intentions, but we lack the follow through. Some days are good days. Most days are just flawed. And God, a holy God, holds us accountable for these lives because every single minute of these lives are important to God. And how we live has eternal ramifications in the world for other people. And the reason I think people don't believe in Jesus is not because they don't realize that they're flawed. I think most people do. The reason people don't believe in Jesus, they don't realize that there's a holy God who holds them accountable for their lives. It's not a problem with understanding humanity, it's a problem with understanding divinity. Because most people, like has been said, we want to create God in our own image. And we're so used to dealing with fallen people, with flawed people, that we're just like, well, yeah, it's like everyone's just flawed, no big deal. But to a perfect God, it's a huge deal. And that's the gospel, that Jesus took our place. And what's amazing is, is that when the Enlightenment happened and, and people started studying science, they said, we're not going to need religion in anymore because science is going to explain everything. And what's amazing is that religion is more popular today than it was then. Because no amount of observation of what is reality will ever heal an existential issue that humans have, that we know that we fall short and we know that there is a perfect God who cares about life. And that's why the gospel is so powerful. That is why the gospel demands a response from a person. And I pray that if there's anybody in here, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. The reason you are here, the reason someone is encouraging you to put your faith and trust in Jesus is because of this. Because Jesus took the punishment that you deserved because he knew you couldn't handle it and I couldn't handle it. And people all the time say, well, you know, religion's a crutch. Yeah, you need a crutch when you have a broken leg. I have no problem with that statement. When you realize that your leg's broken, thank God for a crutch. Because walking on a broken leg just hurts. So don't be ashamed when someone says, oh, religion's a crutch. It's like, man, when you're broken, you're grateful for that. And Jesus said, I didn't come to heal those who are well. Only the sick need the physician. And if you're here and you realize that you need help, that's why Judah has given up his life for Benjamin. He's showing you long before Jesus ever walks on the scene that this is what God's heart is. A substitution. A substitution. Now, in verse 15, it says, So the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hands, and they arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready. 
for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that he would eat bread there. So they get there, and Joseph says, look, I want these guys to go to my house. Now again, the guilty conscience, these guys are just freaked out. They're like, everything that's going on is meant to bless them. Joseph's making a feast for his brothers, and they are just totally freaked out. It's because of the money. It's because of this. It's because of that. And they're talking to the guy Joseph's servant, and they're just, they're making their case. Hey, listen, man, we didn't know the money was going to be in there, and we brought down that money and more money, and, and it's amazing. This Egyptian guy is like, listen, chill out. Peace be with you, he says to him. Verse 23, shalom to you. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sex. I had your money. You know what? I want to do this with this verse here. I want, some of you just need to underline and circle this verse right here. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sex. I believe that that's for some people in here today. We spend our lives worried and fretting and freaked out. Peace. Don't be afraid. I've heard it said, I've never counted it, that you can find 365 don't be afraid phrases in your Bible. One for each day. Because we're so prone to being scared, aren't we? We're so prone to worry, to anxiety. Why? Because we don't believe that God is God and God's got this thing covered. God is with you and he has given you treasure. You have what you need. Such an important reality for us. This guy not only did, he brings Simeon out, and then he starts to bless them. He gives them water, he washes their feet, he gave their donkeys feed. Now in verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant or father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother whom you spoke to me? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. 
Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians would not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Now, I'm going to close here with this feast. But notice a few things. One, Joseph comes. They're bowing down to him again in fulfillment of that dream. He starts asking about their father. Why? Because he loves his dad. He, is your father well? Is he in good health? They say, yeah, he's in good health. He's doing well. Is this your youngest brother who you told me about? He hasn't seen Benjamin in a long time. And he sees him. And Joseph is overcome with emotion. He's overcome with emotion. He's longing for his little brother. You got to think when all this happened, he was a teenager. Benjamin was a little brother. He loved his little brother and he's overcome. He goes away. He weeps. He, he washes his face out. He comes back out and they start to eat. It's interesting. Joseph ate by himself. The Egyptians ate by themselves and the Hebrews ate by themselves. There was segregation was involved with this. Even Joseph's own servants wouldn't have eaten at a table because Egyptians didn't eat with the Hebrews. This chapter ends so uniquely because we find out that the Everybody according to their birthright, the oldest in the front, the youngest in the back. But what happens once again? Benjamin gets five times as much. The younger is blessed to abundance above the older ones. And haven't we seen this all the way through? Remember I told you, two of the biggest customs in Near Eastern history at this time was polygamy and the rights of the firstborn. And the book of Genesis, I already talked about polygamy. Now you have the rights of the firstborn. Think about it. Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn son, but Isaac was chosen. Esau was Isaac's firstborn son, but yet Jacob was chosen. And now you have, they're sitting down, all the brothers are there, but the youngest brother, Benjamin, is being blessed. Why? Because God doesn't run with the whims of culture. God has his own way of doing things. And even though culture says one thing, God says Another. And Benjamin is blessed. He's blessed. And I love this. This chapter ends, so they drank and were merry with him. Praise the Lord. I like to have people love on each other here at church because, you know, in our culture, especially in the Christian culture, we've lost the ability to be married together. Our culture knows kind of this, like, kind of a frivolousness but not celebration. You know, I believe that God wants to return to the evangelical church a sense of holy celebration. That we can find ways to be merry together. You know, think about the word merry. It's used in our culture for what? For Christmas. And you guys, you guys ever go shopping on Black Friday? That ain't merry. That's messy is what it is people beating each other up over a cabbage patch kit. 
But I believe God wants to return to us a sense of celebration, that we rejoice together, that we make merry together because of who God is for us in Christ. Jesus is Joseph gave his brothers a hard time when he put a silver cup in Benjamin's bag, but it brought them back to him. Although they hadn't done anything wrong in this instance, they owned up to their iniquity, the beginning of repentance for what they had done to Joseph. God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited. My book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives is available right now. It is released and God is using this book to be a message of hope to people who realize that life is messy, but Jesus is real. So get the book now. You can download it online. Go to honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold and where you like to get it. You and your friends are going to be blessed to get to read Honestly. I'm so excited about it. God bless you. Place a marker in your Bibles as we join Pastor Daniel next time when he continues through Joseph's reunion with his brothers and how he remains obedient to God throughout every circumstance in his life and faithful to God's plan. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we want to invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. It's no typical journey